want Philly food? Yeah, let's do it. Sanders patiently running. Sanders could cut. End of the block. Sanders still going inside the 40. Welcome to the Kelly Green Hour. I am your host, Connor Donald, joined as always by LJ, uh, who has decided to take a step back tonight because he is sick. So I will host and do a large chunk of talking and LJ will just, although this is a game that there's probably a lot to talk about, LJ will probably be as concise as possible tonight, but LJ... Welcome aboard. As always, you're back. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. Clearly, it might have been too wonderful. But how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I mean, besides yesterday's game, it was just an awful experience watching the game. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I didn't have fun. It was, and that was a worry of mine going into the game. And I know I didn't join Friday. It was you and um, Shane. But it was a worry of mine going into the game. Like. There's going to be a team that comes up that's going to – I'm not going to call it a blueprint, but that's going to have the game plan that keeps the offense off the field. And it doesn't surprise me that it was a division game. So, you know, I'm not saying that that's the blueprint, but we're going to go up against better running offenses over the next month that if they don't start stopping the run, it, you're, you keep Jalen Hurts and the offense off, how are you going to put up points? And, Absolutely. Yeah, so it, it it was just very frustrating to watch the entire game and it, uh, and didn't have fun. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us can say we had fun last night. Um, of course, this is our first non-victory green hour of the year. We are now eight and one. We lost to the Washington Commanders last night, thirty-two to twenty-one. And in all honesty, I would almost call it a domination by the commanders while it didn't while the score may not depict it they dominated time of possession they essentially dominated the turnover department yes we will get into one that was really bad and has led to some very consequential circumstances for the philadelphia eagles but at the end of the day this is non-victory green hour. It is super sad to talk about. But before we move on to that, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Kelly Green Hour. Follow myself on Twitter at Connor 10 T-E-N and LJ at LJ Harrell 54. And of course, the entire Painted Lines crew. Um, LJ, you must have it written down somewhere because you know it a lot better than me. Type in the Painted Lines on, on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, and you will find the crew. And uh, there are a plethora of shows, pregame, postgame, reaction shows, halftime shows. They got it all. And if you like any Philly sports, they pretty much have a show for every single Philadelphia sport. Let's dive into it, LJ. It was essentially... 
like we said, it was kind of a domination by the Washington Commanders. They they ended up with 330 total yards, died 264. They ultimately ended up with 40 minutes and 24 seconds time of possession to the Philadelphia Eagles, Eagles 19 s- minutes and 36 seconds. And the Eagles had six minutes of time of possession in the first half, which is unheard of. Like, you never hear that. That's like a Chip Kelly number when Chip Kelly yes. used to run that fast-paced yes. offense. And you, you talked about it was a total domination while it was on paper, but if you think about it, Washington ran 51 plays, had the ball for over 40, 51 plays in the first half, ran the ball for over or held on to ran the ball 49 times the entire game, only averaged three points. Like that's how bad the Washington team is. They dominated the game, but they really didn't dominate the scoreboard. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, and we talk about it all the time, a win is a win. So you don't want to you know, poo poo that, but like, and the Eagles equaled their total of turnovers for the entire year, like bad penalties at the most inopportune times. Um, the CJ Gardner Johnson one, which was iffy because the uh, McLaren was still inbounds. The Brandon Graham one at the end was huge because the Eagles could have had the ball back. Um, you know, with bad. More time. Like I get the hustle talk, and he talks about hustle, but that's just. It's it's an awkward position to put defensive players in that Taylor Heineke did because he's kneeling, but it's almost like he'd be it's kind of almost a la Kenny Pickett when he did the fake dive. Like it almost felt oh, like yeah. he kind of was like turtling but could have jumped out of it. So I mean it's such a they gotta probably consider looking at that rule and saying like if you're giving yourself up you got to be touched in some way, shape, or form. While it didn't well, have to be as violently touched. Yeah, he, he was, was touched t- by Hassan Reddick. It so, was that's that's where they got Brandon Grant because Reddick did touch him and uh Heineke was getting up. And I guess I mean in the heat of the moment, Brandon Graham thought maybe he's not down. He's he's so I get where Brandon Graham's coming from, but he's a vet, he should know. Like they're gonna protect the quarterbacks at all costs. So you gotta be smarter with smarter than than that. Um, but yeah, like all the turnovers, even the, the, the first interception by Jalen Hurts, it was a perfect throw. It was in the hands of AJ Brown. Like AJ Brown comes away with that ball nine times out of ten. There's the one time that he didn't. Um, it was just uncharacteristic. The game plan offensively and defensively was bad. Um, at the end of the first half, I think the Eagles had seven straight pass plays. They ran the ball, I think, three or four times with running backs in the first half. Um, you know, I get that Washington's strength is their defensive line, but in the second half, the Eagles were able to run on him. So I don't get why he didn't do it. And then I don't even want to talk about the defense. I don't know what Jonathan Gannon was doing. He made zero adjustments again. Um, I get it. We know how much uh, Jordan Davis means to the team. But when you're when Washington goes nine, what was it? They were 12 of their first 15 on third down conversions. 12 of – that's 80%. And we're talking about a team that I, that's about a 30% third down, um, third down conversion rate for the season, like that is inexcusable. You cannot allow a team to go 12 to 15. Now, granted, a lot of them were third and shorts because they were so good on first and second down. And when Eagle, maybe when the Eagles thought it was going to be a, a run play, they did a play action, got in, got somebody open, felt like McLaren was op- running all over the field wide open. Towards he had 12, uh, eight catches, 125 yards or something like that. It was, mm-hmm. it was ridiculous. And there just was no adjustments whatsoever. And, and then we could go to the special teams. Like, Michael Clay needs to be fired. Britton Covey needs to be cut. I mean, something needs to change because the special teams has been really bad. And and 
I'm not saying it cost them yesterday, but like they got a three and out and then had a, a roughing the punter. Like just so things that we didn't see all season, we started seeing yesterday. And that is, and, that, and I'm hoping it's a blip and, and not a trend, but I don't know, man. It has me worried going forward. I definitely think that there's some overreaction to this game. Well, I mean, you you always have to kind of take some concern to divisional games. They did kind of show you, and but I mean, to think that it, that we got eight weeks and finally there was this realization of the blueprint, there kind of is that blueprint there. You just have to keep our offense off the field and take advantage of a, of a worn down defense like they were doing. While I think some people like me over-exaggerate the impact of the Russian game, I do think some people over-exaggerate or under-exaggerate the impact of the Russian game and over-exaggerate the third downs because they go hand-in-hand at the end of the day. They were able to create those manageable situations by having little rush plays. In the NFL, it's not about 10-yard rushes, 10-yard rushes, 10-yard rushes. If you can get those rushes that put you in way more manageable third-down positions, then the Russian attack should be equally responsible for the third-down conversions that were happening, despite them not being part of the technical conversion. Um, They did run 49 times, like you said, and got 152 yards out of that. And while, yeah, that's a pretty abysmal 3.1 yards per on the rush attempts, that is definitely a major like the fact that they were comfortable enough to rush 49 times and were okay taking three yards here, four yards here, and then throwing the ball, the Philadelphia Eagles should have been able to do that offensively too. We have a Russian attack, I think, that could be like, I think Miles Sanders is better than both of the running backs for Washington. I think that Miles Sanders could have done that. It's just you can't run to the inside against this Washington Commanders team. When we talked about it on Friday, that's one of their biggest strengths. Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, you do not want to run at them. They're going to make you pay. They eat up the middle. They take up bodies. They take up gaps. They take up space. You don't want to deal with that. But I don't think we should discount the fact that the their willingness to run that ball so much. They ran the ball more times than we ran plays on offense. And that willingness to do that was huge and shows like while there are some people who don't feel that our Russian defense is a complete weakness, a total weakness that's going to cost us. This was a prime example of it definitely can be, especially when you have guys like Jonathan Taylor coming up. You got Derrick Henry coming up. They're going to make you pay and they're not going to just take three and four yard chunk plays. They will be those guys that go seven, eight, nine and ten yards per play when we're looking the way that we're looking. Um, So, I mean, I just had to get that off my chest because I think people were under people just look at yards per carry and they just think, oh, just their yards per carry was low. They weren't that good. No, it was a vital part to why they succeeded. It's a vital part to why the time of possession was so high. And if we were stopping them at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage or after one or two yards only, more frequently, they probably would have turned away from the Russian attack, but we couldn't do that because, well, first of all, Brian Robinson's a machine, by the way. The way he continues to churn his legs and make something out of nothing was very impressive. And Antonio Gibson, on Friday, he was one of the players I noted as a player to watch and a player I was concerned about because he would make people miss in the open field. And while he may not have been the core 
Russian component that was going to be Brian Robinson. He was a guy who could be used in dump offs. He could be used in those outside runs and they used him that way. And he was really effective at it. And I think that that was a huge thing was that, and I don't think anybody really thought Terry McLaurin would feast the way he did, but I think I want to say this. I think schematically there's some blame to put there because there were some times where he was in zone and it just looked lost. It looked like a complete lost play. Like nobody knew who was supposed to have McLaurin, like the coverage was blown. And then there was just some legitimate Darius like just didn't have one of his better games. It was just an off game, but that's not necessarily to say this is the beginning of the end for Darius. Like it's just, they attacked him, and when they dropped back into their zone coverage on third down, the majority in the first half, it felt like they always dropped back in zone. It was so easy to pick apart the zones. The gaps were massive. The holes were huge, and Terry McLaurin just parked himself right in them. Yeah, I mean, it felt like they didn't even go after James Bradbury. They were like, we're going to pick on Slay, and it was the worst game he's had since, what, 2020, his first year with the team. Um, it was a shock. I mean – there was one play that he had great coverage and it was just a perfect throw by Heineke um, and, a, and a great and a good catch by McLaren down the, the right sideline. But um, I just, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like I get what you're saying. And like looking at the yards for carriage, but like the Eagles, like you said, they were not able to, to get any loss. It felt like lost yardage on any of the running plays. And that's and that sets up the second and manageable third and shorts, and allows you to convert you know eighty percent of your first downs and I think about around sixty percent for the entire game they were like twelve to twenty one or something but it was just like is Taylor Heineke a good quarterback he, he's a journeyman type of quarterback and the the you have to give the offensive coordinator it was a Scott Turner for Washington a lot of credit because he kept with the game plan even after the sack fumble and the Eagles scored what three plays later. Um, he kept with running the football and keeping the Eagles offense off the field. And, you know, Brian Robinson, I mean, I'm an Alabama fan. So watching him the, the, at Alabama, like I knew the type, know the type of runner he is. And, and obviously coming back from the gunshot and whatnot, like he deserves a lot of credit. Gibson, we know the type of runner he is, but when you look, look at the head, like the Jonathan Taylor is better than both of them. Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, probably better than both of them. Um, Derek Henry, Derek Henry definitely better than both of them. Like Saquon Barkley, probably, but like it doesn't get any easier easier going forward. And these teams are going to look at that game plan, and while it might not be perfect, it might not be the exact same. They're going to be like, all right, well, we'll run it on them until they stop it. And the Eagles haven't shown. Damian Pierce ran all over them, 140 yards. Like it's until and if I'm the opposing team, like until somebody stops it, why would you do something else? Absolutely. There's no reason not to do it. And you don't, the thing is, you don't have to be efficient. You just have to continue to go to it. You have to have a willingness to continue to use it and leverage it to run down the clock and leverage it to keep the Eagles on their toes. The Eagles had to stay on their toes. The Eagles had to fill the box a bit or consider in all reality, they don't really fill the box at all. It's just not in Jonathan Gannon's mindset or play set to do that. And it's probably one of the biggest reasons that we falter in our run defense is the fact that he's not willing to do that. Even in situations where you most likely know, like, 
first downs, you essentially, first and second downs against Commanders last night, you almost knew that they were running the ball almost every single time. They ran the ball 49 times. You essentially knew this was coming every first down, guaranteed. 50% or more of second second downs, almost a guarantee, except for apparently Jonathan Gannon. He was probably the only one who seemed to not know that that was coming and that that was going to happen. It It felt like they had the same game plan from week three when they first faced them not realizing that Heineke's going to get rid of the ball a lot quicker than than Carson was. And the offensive line for Washington this week was probably told in practice, like, look, you guys have to play better. So they took it upon themselves to not let Heineke get hit as often as Carson got hit in week three. And there's just zero adjustments whatsoever. And it was just I mean, things got better in the second half, but I, I honestly, like, you can't adjust in the second half when you got completely abused like Jonathan Gannon did in the first half. Like, I don't know how much you can put that on cert- certain players because while some players like Darius Slay struggled, Darius Slay had targeted seven times, four receptions, 85 yards. While, yes, he did struggle, like, how much of that might have been on scheme? How much of that might have been on play call? How, like, he did have the help over the top. I mean, you did see that on the play where Taylor Heineke went to the end zone and Chauncey Gardner Johnson got the interception. Like, he did have the help over the top and stuff. But Taylor Heineke, again, this is one of those quarterbacks, and we talked about it with past quarterbacks we faced that will take what is given. Derek Carr last year, if you're good, if you're willing to give them the time if you're willing to play zone and open up big holes that they can park themselves in and Heineke can hit Heineke's not like Carson Wentz he's not going to go out of his way to do anything crazy anything dramatic he's just going to take what's given to him he's going to make smart decisions while yes he does throw some air balls from time to time yes we can definitely talk about that Although he didn't look like he did much last night, minus a couple of those, minus like the Gardner Johnson Johnson interception. He's going to take what's given to him. It's simple. It's just easy that way. And the game plan is drawn up that way for backup quarterbacks because they're not asked to do as much. And the Philadelphia Eagles are notorious for not forcing these quarterbacks to do more. And it felt like there was almost no, it felt almost like there was not that much pressure, which I think, the pressure numbers weren't that good. Let me pull them up quickly. But they they definitely were not good at, in in at rushing whatsoever. Um, we had ten total pressures. Ten. That was it. Javon Hargrave, Josh Sweat each had sacks. Of course, Josh Sweat ended up going out with an injury for quite a while there, and things dramatically seemed to shift there. That the, the Rob- defensive line struggled more. And it's like they don't know how to get Robert Quinn involved on the defense. He played what twenty two snaps. He hasn't. He hasn't done anything since he's got traded or since he got traded here. Fletcher Cox played like 70 snaps or something like that. Like that's outrageous. He can't be playing that many snaps. They definitely have a depth issue right now along that defensive line um, without Jordan Davis. Um, they didn't call up Marvin Wilson. So like Marla Tulu, Luke Bopu, um, and um, Milton Williams, like they all have to play a lot more snaps than, than they're used to. And, the defense just got worn out when you're on the field so much, like you can't get off of it. You just get worn down. Like I mentioned on the out, outset, this was like a Chip Kelly offense where the Eagles, there was one, I think you may have put something out there. There was one possession where the Eagles had the ball for nine seconds. It felt like, like, how is that supposed to help the defense? It, mm-hmm. it, 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 it was ridiculous. And they're definitely going to have to figure it out because, you know, 
the the team team they were nationally televised. It was a nationally televised game yesterday. Teams saw what Washington did to the Eagles. They're going to replicate that until you can stop it. Absolutely. And first half, their possessions, 51 seconds, three minutes and 30 seconds, one minute and 17 seconds, 33 seconds. That was their four possessions. Yes, two of them did lead to touchdowns. But at the end of the day, that's unacceptable they, that they do. They, the past few games, they've dominated time of possession and is one of the reasons that they're able to win. It keeps their defense fresh. They're able to make they end up making bigger plays. They they're not exhausted. Eighty three snaps was the was how many the defense played. And there was a couple guys who were out there for all of it, like Marcus Epps, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, James Bradbury, Darius Slay. Eighty three snaps on those guys. Like any great cornerback is gonna get eaten alive eventually. Playing eighty three snaps, dropping back eighty three times, facing a guy like Terry McLaurin, you're gonna get eaten alive like that. It's just a reality of it. And, and like you said. Fletcher Cox, 70 snaps. I get it. Milton Williams, maybe. Well, first of all, Milton Williams is a whole nother story that needs to be talked about. The, his usage has this year has been really suspect, and it almost feels like they have to go to the defensive line again this year, which is a scary thought that you invested the third, I think it was the third rounder, Milton Williams. You invested the first in Jordan Davis, and you still don't have that defensive line shored up at all for the future. We don't really hey, know well, what the defensive line of the future I'm, is. I'm, I'm fine with that if it's Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. Like, I'll take either one of those two with that Saints pick if they're if if they're available wherever. We're at. I'm fine with using that. I feel that like pick. you want like after taking Jordan Davis where you took him. I feel like you really don't like if this pick continues to stay in the top five. Do you really want to go back to the defensive tackle well in the top five? Because we know to get Will, Will Anderson, you're probably gonna have to be. I know, but Will Anderson, you probably have to be. Well, it really depends. Like, it's starting to look like the Raiders could lean quarterback. It's Texans probably, you know, like those teams are going to lean quarterback, Panthers even. But at the end of the day, do you really want to go back to that same well? Like, I'd rather Will Anderson, 100%. We need well, another edge. We're talking but going about back Howie, to the tackle well is. We're talking about Howie Roseman here. He's going to prioritize offensive and defensive line. Um, I don't think you take an offensive lineman with a top five pick because. You don't necessarily have the biggest need. Obviously, you'll have a right tackle mm. need within the next couple of years. Might have a right guard need, but that could be like the late first round pick. Exactly, like you so can use it, it or the second rounder, like they're not draft of them. last year. They're not going to draft the running back. They're not going to draft the safety. They're not going to draft the corner. I don't even know if there's a corner that's going to be worthy of the top five. They're um, if I'm going to say linebacker, definitely not going to draft the linebacker in, in the first round. Um, not going to draft the running back, obviously. Receiver, um, probably not. Like, so if you have the top five pick, unless you're trading it to get more assets, you go for what? What, what do the Eagles do? What does Howie do? He drafts interior or he drafts linemen, offensive and defensive linemen. The best bet would be Will Anderson. Obviously, he's an edge rusher. They they need an edge rusher, but it wouldn't shock me. In the, and obviously, we're we're way ahead of ourselves. This is a this is a conversation we want to have in, in February, in March, but like. We, we see how much of an issue it is of them getting after the quarterback, like right now. And you see and, the and it's invent- weird, though, because they, they almost had more sacks than they had last year. It just feels like they don't get consistent pressure after the quarterback. Haneke was standing back there all day, it felt like. Definitely. And, like, at the end of the day, like, it's just – it's 
the investment, like you, you invested in Milton Williams with a day two pick. You invested the finances. You cut Fletcher Cox, brought him back in the cap hit that he's worth. Brandon Graham, the cap hit that he's worth. Josh Milton Williams, the, or sorry, Josh Sweat, you invested decent draft capital. Then you gave him the extension. And yet we're still staring down a defensive line where we're like, yet, while I did note it on the, the show on Friday, I think that, you know, we're the same way we talk about Trevon Diggs interceptions last year. We should kind of consider sacks in a similar light. They are a splash stat. If you're creating pressure, if you're generating pressure, and it ends up in a hit or it ends up in a hurry or it ends up in force, like forcing a, a quarterback to make a bad decision, forcing a quarterback to make a bad play, like we've seen in prior weeks, and that leads to a turnover. That is equally important. But 10 pressures last night, like you need to be getting more consistent pressure and the pressure just wasn't there. And one of the biggest reasons the pressure wasn't there last night was the ability to lean on that defense, on that Russian attack that they were able to lean on. Again, going back to that, how are you supposed to get home if you get put back on your heels into this manageable third down position where they could run the ball, where they could pass the ball, where they, where they ran some trick plays, where they ran some jet sweeps that led to first downs and stuff. They, they put they through everything at this Eagles defense and almost everything worked against it because we just couldn't seem to figure it out. And at the end of the day, the, so much investment has gone into that defensive line. And at this point, while maybe we're overreacting to just this one game, I still want to see, we need more from Josh Sweat. We do. You give him that big extension. We need more. And he was showing some good stuff until he got injured. Who knows what the rest of that game. Hassan Hassan Reddick. Like we can't have these guys, they get paid the money they get paid not to play two, two games, three games really well, and then disappear for five or six. We need more consistent play from these guys. And whether that's Gannon and his scheme, I don't know what it is. But if you're able, if there's situations which you can tell there's situations where they pin their ears back and go, those are the situations you got to be getting home. There's no blame on scheme on that. You have to start getting home. You have to start generating hits, hurries, making those bad decisions. But you know Taylor Heineke is not that good of a quarterback when you look at the lineup of guys we have coming up. Sure, Daniel Jones isn't that great. Matt Ryan's still pretty good. What You can argue he's washed, but if he's given a pocket like that, if he's given the opportunity like Heineke was, he's going to be able to make plays. Ryan Tanhill, not a great quarterback. Better than Heineke, still will be able to make the plays. There's some quarterbacks coming up on the schedule who are going to be able to make us pay if the situation looks similar to last night. Yeah, and I as, as as Dave says, you know, Gannon never makes any adjustments, and the game plan is the game plan, and that's what we said on the outset. Didn't see any adjustments. I'm going to talk about the linebackers real quick. T.J. Edwards and Kaiser White were bad. I don't know. We're about we're we're at that point in the season where unleash Nicobe Dean. I don't care. Like I need I need to see somebody out there. I, and remember at the beginning of the year we were talking about like how do you not bring Kaiser White back? He's kind of disappeared. I don't know if if it'd be worthy of bringing him back. And obviously, yeah, we we and me and Shane talked about it, and because we talked about well before this game, you have James Bradbury, you've Chauncey Gardner Johnson, you know are going to be due for extensions. Like most likely, only one of those two would come back. Then from there, you have to make the decision on likely one or two out of three of Javon Hargrave, T.J. Edwards, and Kaiser White. And Kaiser White started really good. He he seemed to fit. 
Yeah, he seemed to fit the scheme so well. But the way I see it is like, I feel like Gardner Johnson has proven so valuable that it's almost hard to move on from him. And I know in the group chat today, Shane was saying, that's a lot to invest in a position that we've never really valued. And in a position well, they traded that assets maybe, for it, so they sort of kind of valued it this year. Yeah, they sort, sort of kind of did. But now he he has earned the safety money. He was going to get paid or the the Saints wanted to pay him as a nickel cornerback. And now he has proven he can get safety money, which safety money is like, what are we talking? Six to $10 million more than nickel cornerback money a year. So you're talking significant money. We're talking like an $18 million player in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. But then you have to make the decision. The only thing about that is how he is smart with like, so he's smart with the AJ cap. Brown is only counting six, I think six against the cap this year and seven against the cap next year. And then obviously in you know two or three years, it's going to go up more, but also the salary cap is going to go up. So if, if the Eagles want to bring back CJ Gardner Johnson, they'll do it and they'll, they'll, they'll. He'll rig it up. He'll rig yeah, he'll, up the, he'll contract. Rig the contract. He always does. It won't cost much first two years. TJ Edwards, I think will be back. At this rate, I think TJ Edwards, one. I agree with you on TJ Edwards, and I feel like Javon Hargrave would come back and be a bit more team friendly. Although, I mean, Shane and I think uh, Chris was in the comments and they were, they were say, or maybe not Chris, somebody else was in the comments kind of talking about, well, I feel like some team will overpay for Javon Hargrave. Awesome. I mean, there is a chance. But hopefully, if this run continues and they make a deep run into the playoffs, Javon Hargrave would see the value in coming back on a lesser deal to be there with a guy like Jordan Davis, to be there with a guy like maybe Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, you know, whoever might be on that defensive line, that young defensive line, Milton Williams. He can be the vet there because Fletcher Cox likely will not be back. Um, So you can really get an opportunity there to get some solid playing time an opportunity to win and a decent ending up being paid decently. But I feel like Kaiser white, even when he's been good, he hasn't like when TJ Edwards has been good, he's producing with like splash plays that you can sit there and say, I see his fit here. I see his fit in the scheme. Kaiser white to me, I just don't see that the same way. I don't see him in the same light. While he was a great bargain bin pickup for Howie this off season. I think that kind of goes so to show that- is that Kaiser White or is that Gannon in the scheme? It could be Gannon in the scheme, but at the end of the day, the ultimate decision has to be made to make room for N'Kobe Dean. Do you want TJ Edwards, who works in the scheme, or do you want to bring Kaiser White back and then bring N'Kobe Dean into the picture? And maybe Kaiser White doesn't even fit the scheme, and we're looking at a situation again. Maybe Jonathan Gannon's not even here next year, but to the same point, like, Kaiser White's probably going to want to get paid and get paid a little bit better than he is. Like, he hasn't been bad. He's been consistent. So some team might go out there for a consistent linebacker, and it will definitely outpay the Philadelphia Eagles, who really don't value the linebacker position enough that they would go in on, like, you know, if he gets to the 8 to $10 million talking range, we would let him walk in a heartbeat. Well, because that's just will, how, I mean, how he is. Again, I don't want to look into the future, but this defense will look a lot different next year. That's for dang sure. I definitely agree with Dave here. While one of the biggest knocks on Dean was kind of that he's undersized and stuff, really, he has a nose for the football. there's any oppor- any exactly he's got nose for the football. He's always around the football. Any opportunity to in to in to better this running defense needs to be tried at least. Anything really is see it started to work with Jordan Davis and Jordan Davis got hurt. What what could be the risk with putting a Kobe Dean in? There's no way. 
with all the hype that he got and all the reaction when he got drafted and all he was his first round talent, there was no way you can sit there and tell me he hasn't earned what 25% playing time taken away from TJ Edwards and Kaiser white. You just cannot sell out to me that he's that bad in practice or that you're tra- valuing him that closely and holding him that closely. Like, what are you hiding him from? What are you sheltering from at this point? What, Check out 25% of snaps, kind of like you did with Jordan Davis. And then after that, oh, if you start seeing things working out, you increase it just like you did with Jordan Davis. Things were only getting better with Davis, and then the injury derailed everything. But what could be worse with N'Kobe Dean? Giving him 25% of snaps. Obviously, we don't play 83 defensive snaps every night. So say we go back to their mean of 60 to 65, then what's 20 20 to 30 snaps? Yeah, I agree. And that's why I mentioned it. We're at that time, like, and, and with the offenses that we're going to be going up against, we need to see something different because what 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 Gannon and the scheme and whatever is going on now is not working. Now let's flip to the offensive side of the ball. We already kind of voiced our frustration in regards to uh, in regards to some of the situations, including the running game and the game plan in general. Shane Steichen seemed completely stifled, and I get it. He wanted to avoid Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, which they actually they were kind of. They were factors here and there, but you could tell they were factors in the mind of Shane Steichen, in the mind of Nick Sirianni, more than an impact on the actual game itself, because obviously they didn't get home. They didn't really get any sacks or anything, but really it kept them away from putting Miles San- from running Miles Sanders, from running Jalen Hurts too much, although Jalen Hurts did scramble a few times. But the big thing here, Quez Watkins had such a golden opportunity and he fumbled it away. Let's talk about turnovers because there was a, there was the Quez Watkins play. There was Dallas Goddard, which we'll talk about that in a bit. There was Devonta Smith with a fumble, um, and then of course there was Quez. Uh, there was I don't Jalen really Hurts, count Devonta really Smith. I don't count yeah, that. That was that last play. And then there was Jalen Hurts interception trying to force the ball to AJ AJ Brown, which he really tried that. He tried that a few times though, where he was really trying to force that ball to AJ Brown. And I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm all for target the guy 10 times, make sure he's for fed the ball, but don't force it into double coverage or situations like that. Although he almost had it. So AJ Brown almost came out on top, but. Oh, the Cowboy fan comes out after we get our first loss in November and we beat Dallas. So, (laughs) And Dallas lost this week to Green Bay. It's probably going to lose to Minnesota too, so you might want to shut the hell up. (laughs) But let's get back to – so Quez Watkins' fumble was huge. That was terrible. He got up. He had a massive opportunity. He got up and then he, like, reached the ball so far away from his body and it was – Benjamin St. Just with massive arms, I'm pretty man. sure he didn't know Boom. that the defender was right behind him. He thought he had more space. No, tried but you to, never run tried like to corral, that. You never tried to run get like it that. and bring it in. And tried to bring it in. It was a bad. But you never run like that. It's just, it, it's it bad. It was just bad. Yeah. He wasn't even trying to corral it. You could see it reached out. And then it was St. Eustace was there, who's like six foot five and has a massive wingspan. It was one of the reasons I liked him through the draft process and was intrigued if he could fall to Philadelphia and who knocked it away from Quez Watkins. But it also showed like Quez Watkins targeted four times, four receptions, 80 yards. Like he's a big play waiting to happen that should be used more often, but that kind of hurt his chances. It did, and I really want to talk about what happened to, to Goddard. Look, I'm not blaming the refs. They they missed calls on both ways, and but that 
there were two refs looking right. That's that's a game changer in terms of a. You call that that face mask. It's not a turnover, and and, and Washington doesn't get the ball in field goal range. And B, we lost Dallas Goddard for at least four weeks. That's huge for this offense. He's one of the, he's the best yak tight end in the league, and he's one, he's a top three, top four tight end in the league. Now we have to go to Jack Stoll and Grant Calcaterra and maybe Tyree Jackson. Like they're probably going to bring somebody onto the practice squad, but like whoever's out there is not going to be as good as da- as Dallas Goddard. It's a huge loss for for the Eagles' offense. He's a great blocking tight end. He's a great catch and run tight end. Uh, and he, he's somebody that Jalen Hurts depends on. And now I don't know what they're going to do. You have a banged up AJ Brown who had, who had an ankle, who sprained his ankle yesterday. Now he played through it. He um, only, I think he played, um, he had like four less snaps than, than Devontae Smith. Um, Devontae Smith also went into the blue tank. Like, so this is like, we're at that time of the year where obviously injuries going on all across the league, but that was a huge one where you can't miss that. You can't miss that call if you're the refs. Um, and and, and it, uh, they brought it up. The 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 announced team brought it up. Like this is one of those situations where if you're reviewing the play to figure out, you know, if it's a fumble and everything, the NFL needs to make a rule and that those plays where player safety oh, yeah. is involved need to be considered. If it's something that's blatant like that and is in the name of player safety, like a targeting thing, like a face mask, they clearly there's a reason face masks are something that are called and that are penalized and that are such a big penalty against teams because they do cause these situations, major injuries. This was just a shoulder injury, which is lucky, but they can cause neck and back injuries and concussions and head injuries. And these are situations where you have to be able to, since you're looking at it and you watch your play four or five times in New York and you see this blatant miss that you have to be able to overturn a play based that's on the case, that. Though, there was a game a couple of weeks ago where the Eagles got away with a face mask. It's gonna go it's gonna go both ways. Listen, it's not gonna always work in our favor. It's not always, but it's all it's obviously gonna work for us sometimes. And how often do these really happen? where it's blatant. This is a blatant, a clear blatant one. It doesn't happen often enough. And they, the NFL would have to figure out a real good rule and wording of the rule to make sure that it wasn't abused by refs or abused by coaches. But at the end of the day, you watch that over and over in New York. And all you can probably do is just put your hands, your, your face in your hands and not even watch the replay because you know, every time you're seeing that horrible miss and you're seeing blue pants right behind the play, you're seeing blue pants right over here or black pants right over here, the refs right there. And they completely missed it. It was a huge play. And like Brandon Graham said, I know that Brandon Graham said it more about his play, but we can't blame the refs on this game. This is also on the team. There was a lot of, opportunities we had four turnovers we tied our turnovers for the year in one night the commanders outplayed out coached the eagles the eagles didn't deserve to win the game um and you can't blame the rest it's just the the worst part about it is is that goddard is hurt and he still Agreed. played 100 of the snaps like he didn't come out the game because it was a turnover he obviously came out but he came back on the field um and, and it hurts the offense going forward yeah, and, and like you said, like not only is he a monster yak tight end, he is a mat. I think I posted it on our Twitter a while back. He pretty much is top three among 
wide receivers and tight ends across the league for yards after the catch. Here's a ton of guys who, even though he misses four weeks, he they are never going to touch what Dallas Goddard has for Yak this year. That's how vitally important he's been underneath in 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 the shorter game to create for himself so that Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown can open up the field away from him. And it, it's such a massive loss, a loss that, like, there's people who said tight end was a need, but at the, the dra- trade deadline, and ultimately it kind of was, it wasn't a huge need, but you can kind of see now, you're going to have to schematically work with these guys. Grant Calcaterra is not the world's best blocker. Jack Stoll is a better blocker. You're going to have to figure out when these guys can be on the field and what they can bring to the offense for that specific play or specific situations now, because they are not all around tight ends like Dallas Goddard, and you're not going to get an all around tight end like Dallas Goddard off the waivers. We know they're going to go Tyree Jackson. I get it. He's coming back. Tyree Jackson is a guy who cannot block. He's a horrible blocker. And he is a guy who has shown he's got pretty brick-like hands. So he hasn't really shown an ability to be on the field more than maybe 20% of snaps and more maybe in a special teams role. Like he really isn't in a situation where I would trust him and say, oh, he's coming back. He could be a savior. He's not. He's not. None of these tight ends are going to be. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting i guess going forward how how sirianni and steichen devised the the offensive game plan against some pretty good defenses yeah i think you're definitely gonna i mean despite what happened with quez Watkins, i think his involvement is much needed and it really opens up the you think they should make a run at obj there is he's already put out a list or the rumored list is out there i really don't think like if we were on that list yes since we're not on that list, I don't think we have any chance. He wants a long-term deal. I just really don't think that it's going to transpire in Philadelphia with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown there. I don't think that Howie would be willing to throw. He threw his hat in the ring for wide receiver with the first-round pick of Devontae Smith and then the trade for A.J. Brown and extension of A.J. Brown that I don't think any big-name wide receiver free agent is coming this way. I don't think so. It's either. a dream. It's, it's a dream. It's a dream. I get it. I, I I don't blame you for bringing it up, but otherwise, it was it was a brutal game. There was a lot mm-hmm. to talk about and not very much positive. Unfortunately, the offense started to look good at parts, but those turnovers were brutal. Backbreaking turnovers. Um, the refing was questionable, but it happened both ways. I get it. We want to be upset. They miss some for us. They we they miss some for for the other team. The Goddard one is a huge one. That's a brutal one. The the Brandon Graham one is a bad one. That never should happen. Chauncey Gardner Johnson's should never have happened either. That's just him being Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Now for that one, did they say it was a late hit out of bounds or did they call it helmet to helmet? They if it was late call, hit, they, if they called it late hit out of bounds. Yeah, I know. So, so that could be either one of them though. I think um, they. If, I think they had. I think based on the reaction, it was a late hit out of bounds, and it really it wasn't, wasn't. And it wasn't, it wasn't an egregious hit. hit otherwise. So, like either way, I don't think it was a necessary call to make. Um, yeah, Dave, as as long as how he doesn't try to bring back, back JJ. They did release Odd and Tate right before we came on the air, so there is a practice squad of spot available for likely a tight end. We hope not, JJ. But yeah, it is that time. Where we move on from the commanders, we move on from the Eagles. We're eight and one. We get it. 
It was a pretty negative show today, so why not move to the unheralded player of the week in the NFL? LJ, as always, unheralded is not your, you know, C.D. Lamb, Devontae Adams, Jonathan Taylors of the world. These are lesser known names who were crucial to wins for their teams that were not necessarily expected to be crucial to those wins. So, LJ, I'll let you get started. Christian Watson. Four catches, three of them for touchdowns, 107 yards, and helped Green Bay beat Dallas. That makes it even better. So I'm going to keep it short and quick. And Christian Watson had his breakout party. Now we'll see if it continues for him, but I think he now is starting to get the trust of Aaron Rodgers. So I'm going Christian Watson. I like that one. Definitely one I probably would have considered as well because he had a massive night, huge, and the Packers definitely needed that win, and the Eagles needed that win. So bonus points for taking down the Cowboys. Mine goes to Nick Westbrook-Akine, another wide receiver. Um, he went five receptions, 119 yards, two touchdowns in a seven for the Tennessee Titans in a 17-10 to 10 win over the Broncos. The Broncos are terrible. I get it. I get it. The Broncos are really bad. So is this really a big win? When With how close the entire league is, it is a big win for the Tennessee Titans. They need it. They're in a division that has an opportunity to potentially be close with just with one loss or one win going the wrong way for some of these for, well, really for the Titans and, and the Colts. The Colts are likely still in it, even though they seem further out. I think they're four, five, and one. Um, the Titans can't afford because the Titans are not getting the top seed. I really don't think that they're going to end up with the top seed. I really think that's going to end with the Buffalo Bills or with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to end in one of those hands. So they need to protect that lead. So any win is a massive win. And they are a week removed from a game where the wide receivers had a grandiose uh, zero catches. So to have a wide receiver come out and be able to then go ahead and do that is is a confidence booster for the Titans who need other pieces to be good rather than just Derrick Henry, who only had 19 carries for 53 yards. So when Henry can't do it, they need to be above somebody else that can do it. So Nick Westbrook-Akine and Christian Watson, our unheralded players of the week. My backup one was going to be uh, Rashad White. from. He had a good game for Tampa. My backup one was going to be Colt McCoy because that is huge, man. Pushing the Rams to three and six. Ooh, that's bad. And now they lose Cooper Cup to high ankle sprain four to six weeks. That's massive. That team is struggling with injuries, and that team is proven, yes, you can win it by going all in, but when you have to sign players and keep some of these older guys around and have nothing to replenish with in the draft capital department, situations can start to happen and arise. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, rearing its ugly head for the Rams, unfortunately. Good for us. Unfortunate for the Rams. Yeah. But ladies and gentlemen, that is it for tonight. We are eight and one. It is. Uh, the sky isn't falling yet. But the sky is not falling yet. If they lose if to Indianapolis this weekend, right, the sky will week. start to fall. Yeah. <laughs> and we are reminder: we are in a division where the Giants just keep winning. Okay. Keep doing they're on things. The easy part of their schedule. Yep. So the Eagles are eight and one. The Giants are seven and two. The Cowboys are six and three. And Washington is five and five. This entire division is at five hundred or better right now. So eight one feels pretty good. 
but you got a team that's one game behind you and a game team that's two games behind you and all that can turn on a dime so we don't want to get too comfortable hopefully this was like you said earlier in the episode just a blip on the radar and we will figure things out and hopefully teams while the blueprint has kind of been put thrown out there Hopefully we're able to squash that blueprint and prove that it's not the be all end all that could cost us some games. But next week, Indianapolis Colts on back on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. We will be back on Friday to preview this show or to preview that game. Uh what else is there to say? Make not sure much. you follow. Hopefully they hopefully they we we talked about how they haven't gone through adversity yet this year. Well, now they they've hit adversity. Let's see how they. Respond. That was a, that was definitely an advert. Well, that's back to back games where I would consider them adverse games. We had a rough run against Houston, was closer than it should have been. Losing to the Commanders, we need another good game. We need another game where there's limited adversity. But Jonathan Taylor has me extremely nervous. And mm-hmm. Michael Pittman has me extremely nervous after what Terry McLaurin did. So there are weapons, and uh, they're, coming, they're, they're playing their heart out for Jeff Saturday. So listen, we uh, this we hopefully it was just last week with the Vegas Raiders in the first game for Saturday, and maybe they'll return Vegas a bit to their, the norm for them. But we'll see, and we'll talk about that, of course, on Friday. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at, the, at Kelly Green Hour. Uh, follow LJ at LJ Harrell 54. Follow myself at Connor 10 T E N. And of course, check out the entire Painted Lines crew. Find the Painted Lines on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, everywhere. We're everywhere. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Thank you for watching the Kelly Green Hour. You want Philly Philly? Yeah, let's do it. Sanders patiently running. Sanders could cut, and another block.